Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles. This is going to be an episode for the ladies today. Um, not lady listeners, because I imagine I don't have any, because uh, everyone hates me. Um, but this is an episode about mainly female MMA. Uh, going to go over the whole UFC card, but going to launch this episode with a bit of rising. Because if I chuck rising at the end, there's more of a chance that people might just stop listening at that point. And I'd like to really turn people on the rising because A, it's fun, but B, there's some really important fighters fighting on this card that I think you need to know, especially if we're going to be talking about female MMA. Um, but, but first, I want to lead off with uh, talk about a male fighter, uh, Hideo Tokoro, who I think is uh, one of the legendary journeyman types of mixed martial arts, and journeyman basically because he's been fighting so long and he will fight basically anyone. Um, unfortunately, on the losing side, uh, of the uh, fight this weekend, but not a loser by any means. Uh, he fought uh, Shinru uh, Makao Takahashi, who's the deep flyweight champ. I've only seen a little bit of him uh, before, but clearly a good, fun, young, scrambly fighter. And half Tokoro's age, 22 years old, to Tokoro's 44. Uh, known as the janitor, that was his job. Um, Tokoro has made £125 here for the first time in his career, 44 years old. Gives you an idea of maybe what he could have been, um, you know, with a proper career, not a JMMA career. Where, I mean, really fun scrambly fight. Let's talk about the fight start off with. Really fun scrambly fight. Uh, some really weird positions that, with my limited grappling vocabulary, I can't really describe. But I'm sure someone like uh, John Danaher or someone would have uh, weird and wonderful names for it. So it's a really fun scrambles. Um, talk about just going for it constantly. Constantly fishing for arms, for knees, for heels. Constantly trying to do something. If the younger fighter got out, up kicks. Always trying. Um, really competitive fight. Um, fine with the winner, uh, Takashi. I think he deserved, I think he kind of deserved to win. Kept working, got in some uh, fun scrambles and went for it himself. One point, some particularly nasty looking. Uh, position where he pinned uh, Tokoro's arm behind him. But these guys just kept working, kept moving. Really fun scrambly fight. If there's one fight I really want you to look at uh, this weekend, just for fun's sake, just, just check that out. But it's to talk about Tokoro as a fighter. This is a guy, as I said, making 125 for the first time in his career. He's 44 years old. He has beaten the likes of Rumina Sato, Imanari, 
uh, knocked out uh, Piquino Noguero, who was one of the best uh, featherweights in the world at that point with a famous spinning back fist. He's beat guys like uh, Darren Ueniyama, who I always liked as a, as a lower weight fighter. He's tapped Brad Pickett. Deserved to beat Hoist Gracie, in my opinion, arguably, in that draw, sort of Gracie rules draw. Late notice and, and fought fucking Hoist Gracie, much, much bigger than him. So this is just a guy who has just um, consistently just fought all comers. And because of that, despite his record, which is now uh, after today's fight, 35 wins, 21 by submission, uh, and 30 losses. No, that's not true. After today, 31 losses. It doesn't mean anything. Absolute legend, not just of Japanese MMA, but of mixed martial arts. And, um, you know, you know me, I love to talk about the history of MMA. Uh, don't really get to talk about it too much on, on the, the week-to-week podcast, but if I can talk a little bit about uh, Hideo Tokoro, uh, I will. Um, just just amazing um, career. Um, a guy who's basically fought, well, essentially, I guess, heavyweight to flyweight now. Um, he's just basically fought all comers. Absolutely mental career. And um, at 44, he's, he's, he's still scrambling as fuck. He'll still pick up some, some good wins. I have absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. I mean, the guy's fought fucking Horiguchi... Hellboy Hansen, he just fought so many guys. So many guys I can't even fucking think of them off the top of my head. I'm just winging it here. Um, but a firm favourite for years. When did I first watch Tokoro? Um, probably Dream? No, no, it wasn't Dream. It was Heroes. Saw him in Heroes. I never saw the early ring stuff until recently. Uh, watched him in Heroes. Then on to Dream. We would have got him on Heroes on Eurosport back in the day. So, yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of his. Um, and obviously, I've seen earlier fights of his now. There's um, some really good ones in, in some other tiny fucking... What's it called? Zest or ZST? That that promotion. Some really good fights in that, uh, which we never got over here, which I've only seen on YouTube subsequently. Um, I fought uh, Morkovicius, the Lithuanian guy. Good fighter. From that, those sort of eras, um, from that sort of early era. So, um, yeah, man, but the knockout over Nogueira was a legendary one. Um, I think I've put that on Twitter at some point. Um, and, yeah, man, just been a fan of his for years. Not quite 20 years, we're talking like 15 years for me, really knowing who he is. Um, and, yes, he's 44, still having some really fucking fun fights. But, you know, the focus in this episode is going to be uh, WMMA from this weekend because the uh, rising atom weight uh, or super atom weight 108 pound uh, Grand Prix kicked off at this uh, this uh, rising 37 event at the uh, Saitama Super Arena. So this was essentially the the start of the of the super atom weight Grand Prix. The main event, which I'm going to start with, uh, Seiko is our who was the 2021 Combat Chronicles Fighter of the Year. Not Women's Fighter, if you haven't been following the podcast that long. The first Fighter of the Year, regardless of gender. That's how much of a tear this fighter has been on. Um, really interesting. The video packages are always good. Always good um, for, for Japanese MMA. Rising, no exception to that rule. Showed the kind of, should we say, lineage of his hour. 
started with Sakuraba, then Shinya Oki and now Izawa, who's this uh, Japanese submission specialist. And she came down to the ring and she looked so confident. She looks like a superstar. She looks like a really lovable, goofy dork of a fighter. With this silly sort of shadow boxing, gets in the ring, starts pivoting around. And she just looks made for this occasion. And Rising clearly know by the fact she's headlining. Um, by the fact that, you know, she's been on this run. This out weight, super out weight, sorry, I keep saying out weight, super out weight GP is clearly built around her. They know they've got a star on their hands. We are seeing a legitimate star. Um, she's fighting a, a fighter who I actually didn't uh, watch um, prior to this event, which was uh, Laura Fontora. Um, didn't know much about her. Uh, looks like she she was undefeated, really good, seven and zero against his hours six and zero. Seems to be mainly an armbar specialist. Um, there was a there was a, she's really young. There was a picture of her with Hanato Moikano. I don't know if she's she trains with him, but seemed to be some sort of Hideo Gracie gym affiliation. Not sure, um, but yeah, she came out. And uh, she's only 21 years old. She came out looking kind of like a bit of Vanderlei Silverish, just sort of swinging, uh, just to close distance, um, pull guard, and had his hour in a nasty uh, triangle for, for much of the first round. Um, sort of head head and arm in, one arm kind of out but pressed. Uh, his hour was unable to sort of do much work at all. Pushed... Uh, Fontora back towards the ropes. Just trying to survive, really. It looked pretty tight, looked pretty uncomfortable, but Izawa knows what she's doing. Really awesome grappler. Started uh, dropping some knees to the thigh. Got out. Mounted. Guillotine. Uh, got transitioned. Climbed up. You know, squeezed harder. Got the tap out. After just basically the only... She needed a second. She needed just a second, an exchange, a scramble to end the fight. Uh, Fontora's got absolutely nothing to be ashamed of because um, she got the fight to where she wanted it. She got a quality, quality fighter in a bad position. Um, and Izawa, basically, once she once she escaped, it was over. That's how quickly she can end the fight. Um, in that regard, it reminds me more of Saku than Shinya Aoki um, in terms of being in bad positions, using them... Uh, to eventually get into a good position and snatch a sub. Um, Oki, you know, as dangerous as he was, um, not the most resilient uh, fire, shall we say. Um, you know, as, as great as, as he was as a submission artist um, and one of my favourite ever fighters. But Izawa just, it, just it was so quick. She is phenomenal. Did say, don't know much about Fontora. Looking at her record, it appears to be pretty basic. Um, uh, sort of, uh, I'm assuming she's a guard specialist. She's winning by armbar. She's gone for a triangle where she pulled guard. She knew what she was doing. Um, she's 21. She got time to come again. Nothing to be ashamed of. She fought really, really well. Um, the thing with this uh, super out weight tournament is it's always more than likely going to fight someone. Uh, I'm not sure how the brackets actually work out, but she's going to fight someone more than likely that she's fought before. We're going to get on to the other fights uh, in the uh, in these quarterfinal rounds in a second but you know it's 
probably the most interesting fights for her now um, are fights outside of outside of Ryzen. It's not like um, the tiny weights, as quality as they are, and they are really good. It's not like they're completely stacked with talent. Um, and and is our by by virtue of smashing these uh, fighters so early on in her career because she's still relatively inexperienced. She only took up MMA a couple of years ago, and she's now you know basically the best at one hundred five and one hundred eight in the world, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's the only, the only other fighters that she could potentially beat that she that you would think from a legacy standpoint or just further in her standing now in the game. They're outside of outside of Ryzen. So, um, Hamdalay Silva, who, who, um, who was previously in Ryzen, um, or Angela Lee, who's clearly got, you know, they're, they're pushing over in one, you know, someone like that, those sort of cross promotional fights, which are really unlikely to happen. So, um, outside of that, the fact she might get a bit older, might get a bit thicker, eventually get a 115, might see her in the UFC. I, I don't, I don't reckon she's got the frame for that, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, outside of, you know, fighting people that are too big for her because you know probably a lot of them women are cut into 115 as well or some bizarre cross promotional match which isn't going to happen or leaving rising um you know it's going to be tough for her to to further a, a legacy now i think um depending on how this gp goes and let, let's talk about it uh ayaka hamasaki who uh is ours already beaten uh, twice beat uh, Jessica Aguirre, who I didn't even know was still fighting. Uh, flaked out of the UFC, but um, of course will be well known to MMA fans, or certainly to fans of uh, uh, tiny Japanese uh, female mixed martial artists for uh, beating Megumi Fuji back in the day. Uh, and then she was the uh, World Series of Fighting uh, strawweight champion. Uh, never really, was never really a big fan of hers. Um, she's 40, she gave a decent account of herself here. Um, Amazaki fought well in the first, second round, not much happened, and then in the last minute or so, got mount uh, and uh, and pulled on. So routine win, um, really, really um, emotional after the fight, and I'm not surprised. It's the first time Amazaki's won since uh, since New Year's Eve. Uh, you know, sorry, since last September, she lost on New Year's Eve to Azawa. That was the fight in which um, I then gave his hour fighter of the year. She rematched his hour a couple months back at Rising 35, which I discussed on the podcast. So she hasn't won a fight for, you know, coming up to a year. So very emotional for her. And, um, yeah, she she won. She did as she, as she was expected to and uh, goes on to the semifinals. Um, Siwoo Park, who's now fighting out of Crazy B, which is, you know, uh, Kid Yamamoto's gym. Uh legendary legendary uh japanese mma gym um she again also mentioned her on the, on the podcast last year because she has also sadly run into Izawa before um and yeah just seems to be a really really solid fighter she actually battered uh kana asakura um what i really really liked about um park is is Essentially, just her boxing combinations. Thought her boxing combinations were really clean. Loved the way she would work in lead uppercut. Uh, really liked um, she she catch uh, as it's an open stance. So Asakura lead with a right kick, and uh, Park would grab it, fire back with a right hand counter straight away. Really, really nice work. Um, 
second round, uh, fought off takedown, framed off with the left hand, used uh, elbows, punches, everything, just gave Asakura a real drubbing. Um, and right at the end, right at the death, uh, flattened her with a head kick um, and, and won the fight. So, um, what I say, flattened her. She flattened her, but she won by decision. It was right at the end. So, really good performance from Park. Out of all the people that have fought Izawa, she's one I'd most like to see uh, in a rematch. Got the best skill set to potentially win. Uh, and on the the other one was uh, Rena. Rena fought uh, a, a, a Ukrainian fighter that I've not heard of before. Um, she was 2-0 going into the bout. Uh, her name, out of uh, pure respect, I'm going to fuck this up. It appears to be Anastasia Svetkivska. Apologies to her. I'm sure she's listening. Um, looking at her, she appears to have a pretty long and extensive amateur career. Um, 2-0 going into this. So, yeah, get another decent addition to the tournament. Um, actually did some pretty nice stuff. Her kickboxing sort of remind me sort of Dutch style. Uh, hooks set up low kicks and, uh, and punching off the kicks. Nice work, but um, Renner had the big moments in the fight. Uh, first round, clobbered over right hand and then fucking soccer kicked her on the, on the, on the way back up. Really nice stuff. Um... But yeah, you know, I, I know people love love Renner, but I'm not, I'm not massive on her, so um, I don't really see her um, posing much of a threat to the tournament field. Uh, but again, obviously, one of rising sort of uh, shining stars, and, and as a big fan base, so great for the for the out and weight tournament. Um, only other one I'm going to mention before we go, um, the Riasai uh, fought on the undercard. Uh, young Japanese Muay Thai and kickboxing prospect. Only unfortunately, stream didn't work at that point, so only managed to catch the uh, stoppage, but one to look out for. Um, and uh, Koji Takeda beat Johnny Case uh, by throwing him around uh, like he was prime Chris Benoit. Um, Takeda is just a quality, quality wrestler. Um, I think he was in the honourable mentions for Fight of the Year last year. I say last year, I, I did it on, on New Year's, so... Pretty sure um, I mentioned him on the podcast well before. So I don't think Rising and I upload their fights to YouTube anymore. So it's either get a VPN and, and try your luck with their new streaming service or, uh, you know, do what I do and beg still and borrow on the day. But the, shame, the sad thing is that it is really it is worth keeping up with. So I hope you guys uh, that are listening go, do you know what? I haven't got time. I haven't got time to fuck around trying to get streams. I haven't time to got to fuck around getting a VPN. But I will do whatever I can to see the next fight of Seiko Zawa. Um, because I think there's, there's a real good chance that we could be seeing, we are seeing, but a uh, special talent, but we could be seeing a very, very special career um, unfolding in front of our very eyes. So, great to see. Um, if you catch one fight, as I say, I said to check out uh, the uh, Hideo Tokoro fight, but, um, you know, that's just, you know, it's fun, it's scrambly, it's great to see Tokoro uh, give a heroic performance even at a loss but if you want to keep up this sort of up to date with what's going on in modern MMA and what's really important um, in, in, in the contemporary uh, field check out Seiko's hour beating uh, Laura Fontora who I thought gave a, a perfectly uh, valiant performance in a fight where she I probably thought she was just going to get shit canned straight away to be honest with you um, which she did as soon as Azawa managed to get her hands on her. But yeah, really like Azawa. Such a fun fighter and um, real fun personality. And, and Ryzen, for all their attempts, for all of Sakakibara's attempts to uh, shit the bed, 
um, have, have, have found a, a star that could potentially lead them in this new little uh, thing they've got going with their streaming service and uh, probably going to be no Fuji TV going forward. So, um, But they've got his hour, so for now. Going to get on to UFC 277 now, but before we get to the fighter a lot of people see as the actual uh, women's MMA pound for pound number one, Amanda Nunes, who rematched uh, Juniela Pena. Um, I've got a push to patron as always, so you have to put up with this rubbish. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Coming up this week on the Patreon is another episode of Right or Robbery, where I look at a controversial decision through the lens of the actual uh, scoring criteria, the Unified Rules of Mixed Martial Arts. This week's episode, TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz. Going to be an interesting one for sure. Uh, Coming up over the rest of the month, we're going to have a boxing-themed episode, and then September is a real big one. To give me time to prepare a huge episode for October, September is going to be... 30 nights of fights where each day you'll get an episode might be short might be long might just be 30 to 40 seconds but it's going to be a recommendation of a fight bit of history about the fight why we're talking about it and why you should check it out as soon as possible some of these are going to be really old boxing matches for which we have uh, scratchy black and white footage backed up with newspaper reports some are going to be uh, really fun mixed martial arts bouts from fairly recent times some are going to be you know uh, MMA fights from the human cockfighting days, uh, maybe some kickboxing too, bit of Muay Thai performances that I like to showcase. Some of these would just be, look, I'm giving you this fight so I can talk about a certain era of fighting and just sort of wax lyrical about one of my favourites. And some of them are going to be, look, this is important from a technical standpoint or this is important from a uh, development of the sport standpoint. It's going to be lots of different things. Uh, some will just be absolute stone cold classics that everyone knows that I just want to offer my opinion on. So, Sign up to the Patreon today. It's only a couple quid or a couple bucks a month. No times are hard for everyone. But if you want the extra uh, bonus material, www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. Anyway, less about what's to come and let's look at what just happened. UFC 277, Amanda Nunes defeats Juliana Pena to win back the women's £135 bantamweight title. Um, cast your eyes back to December 11th, 2021, UFC 269, when Juliana Pena beat Nunes in their first fight in strange circumstances, given just sort of the tactics that she employed, and we're going to look at that in a second. Um, but also, just, you know, Nunes looks out of sorts, um, tired. The the RNC, which actually ended the fight, looks like it was barely in. She's willing to give up at that point, but um, really just mind-blowing uh, given what Pena did to win you know she was getting battered in the first round started uh, sort of utilizing sort of like a really uh, poor up jab in the second round and, and Nunes kept boring in didn't take a head off center got uh, tapped up then got beat up then capitulated just fell apart completely um, so yeah really 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 weird fight weird performance weird fight and um, fun, don't get me wrong, fun. I was pretty certain that Nunes was going to 
uh, sort of smash uh, Pena out this time. And she kind of did and kind of didn't. Um, what's really weird about this fight is just as... And it's kind of like an indictment of, of women's MMA at this uh, level. When I say level, I don't mean uh, quality, but I mean in terms of uh, weight. Um, it's really thin on the ground, above 115 pounds, but certainly uh, 135 and 145. 155, I mean. The domain of Kayla Harrison, don't get me started. Um, so in the in the first fight, just said it, Pena started utilising an up jab. She's slow, Pena. She's got awful form. Um, she just sort of balls forward and beats the supposed greatest female mixed martial artist of all time. And this fight, Nunes comes out southpaw, and because of that, Juliana Pena can no longer jab. She doesn't, isn't able to get a front foot on the outside of uh, Nunes' lead foot. The jabbing, the jab, that up jab, which was so useful in the first fight for her and turned the tide, now Nunes just, uh, obviously she shifted southpaw, she just hand fights essentially with, with Pena, who can't get the jab going at all. Uh, Nunez with a very small modification uh, has now made any sort of success that Juliana Pena could have had essentially null and void but what's strange is Amanda Nunez the supposed uh, greatest uh, mixed martial artist female of all time also has terrible fight IQ and keeps taking it to the ground where she ties herself out and gives Pena chances to throw up submission attempts. So a fight that should have been relatively easy if Nunes had stayed southpaw, chopped away of leg kicks, utilised body punches, in and out, just took a step back here and there. Pena would have fell forward, not landed anything, and uh, the jab, as I say, was was null and void uh, as a potential weapon. It would have been an easy five rounds, I imagine. But Nunez, um, and by the way, forget to mention, she's in causing Pena to over, uh, fall over her lead leg. When she does step back, Nunez, she catches her with big, clean, single shots. Pena gets desperate, starts throwing caution to the wind, as she did in the first fight with the uh, combos where she just throws flurry punches, keeps her head on centre, falls over her lead leg, just comes forward to this kind of... I sort of mentioned, uh, described as wine mom boxing. Uh, that's the worst American accent I've done. Wine mom boxing. Not very good at my accents today, guys. Maybe I never am. Maybe I just finally realised I'm terrible. Um, but yeah, you know, she fights like uh, the famed, uh, the famed soccer mum from a couple of years back. Um, it's awful. Um, Nunes steps back, clobbers her, drops her over and over again. If she'd followed her to the ground, could have finished her off. But from the third round onwards, then she does start taking Pena down. By the way, I, I described uh, Juliana Pena's takedown defence online as making Carlos Condit look like Jose Aldo. Um, she has none. Any time Nunes gets anything resembling a body lock, she's down. If Nunes shoots from you know naked shot from way outside, she's down. Um, but in doing this, Pena suddenly gets back in the fight. Not in terms of on a round scoring basis, but... She's getting close to some of those submission attempts. So arm bars, front up triangles, all sorts, really. Um, Nunez made it more difficult for herself than she needed to. In the fifth round, adjusted, started landing the punches again. Won the fight, clearly. I mean, clear win for Nunez, but 
it shows two things. A, she never should have lost to Pena in the first place. Two, Pena, probably the worst champion we've ever had in the history of mixed martial arts from a technical perspective. Even looking at the pioneers. Um, she's awful. Really, really bad. Um, and I like awkward anti-technician types. Don't want to say, like, you know, I only like aesthetically pleasing styles. That's not the case at all. I love um, awkward banger types. She's just awkward and bad. But also shows that even though Amanda Nunes made this uh, adaptation to take away the initiative from Pena and take away any potential success she could have had, her lack of fight IQ made the fight way more difficult than it needed to be in a fight that she probably won about 50 to 40 on any sort of sensible scorecard. I mean, one out of 50, 45, which is insane. That means there's no 10 eights. I mean, come on now. Um, there were a couple of 10 sixes in there in, in, all, in all probability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is not to denigrate the whole, you know, sport of uh, women's mixed martial arts, but Nunes, who is, is, really has built a impressive record over the years and has some really impressive attributes. She has relatively fast hands. She hits hard. Um, she... As I showed, as I said, she has able to, she has been able to overcome someone that beat her badly last time. Um, so she's not a complete idiot, but no, she is a complete idiot, and she's bad. Um, I'm not one of these people online who, um, you know, I see a lot of younger fans nowadays that say like, um, oh, these guys are just bad at MMA, man. They're just bad at MMA. They don't really understand, like, you know, the context, and and maybe they're just unfair. They don't, they, they. They're hipsters towards lighter fighters. Anything that isn't exactly what they expect a mixed martial artist should be is bad, in their opinion. You know, oh, well, they're not as good as a 125 pounder. Well, of course they're not. You know, when someone's 70 pounds heavier, their style changes. So you have to take that into account as well. But objectively, Amanda Nunes, despite being apparently the greatest ever and having a resume to match, has basically beaten a load of people that are bad at MMA, and she is also bad at MMA. Um, you know, if bad is not not fair at all. Flawed. Flawed is correct. Like Valentina Shevchenko, she's awesome at so many things, but she is an inherently flawed fire. Ronda Rousey was an inherently flawed fire. Cyborg, I've never... People love Cyborg, never got it. She's clearly a fucking hard woman, but never got it. Um... So yeah, I mean, by virtue of the all the names she's beaten and, and people that we've all heard of, Nunes has got a claim to be one of the greatest of all time. I just think you know the sport's still young. You know, probably what mid to late nineties for the sport of WMMA sort of picking up in Japan. The last ten to fifteen years for international expansion on on a, on a big scale. Um, Nunes might be the greatest now, but. I hope the sport gets better. That's all I'm saying. Because um, as impressive as she is, and she's fun to watch sometimes. Sometimes she comes sort of, you know, sort of waits it out and isn't quite as... You know, when she either smashes people, which I find her quite boring. And this one's a bit of a mix of both. Um, she sort of tried to keep it on the ground, tried to preserve uh, energy, but there was enough moments of fun in there. And, and Peña, to her credit, made this a fun fight. But I'm done with Amanda Nunes. And I think UFC should be pretty much done with her. There's nothing left for her to do. As Chuck Rogan uh, correctly pointed out, I'm sure it was told off afterwards, but there's nothing at 145. There's not really anyone at 135 now. Juliana Pena, 
was an uninspiring challenger first time round and is only somewhat inspiring now because of the aforementioned fireworks in their first fight. Now this narrative is over, I see nothing left for Nunes. She should probably retire, in my opinion, and enjoy her family life, assuming she's made enough money from the uh, famously stingy Ultimate Fighting Championship to be able to do so. Regardless of what the plans uh, for Nunes are from the UFC, it's quite obvious they've got plans of Brandon Moreno. I don't know whether it's a company line or not, but Joe Rogan seems to uh, intimate that he thinks that Moreno's still the, the real flyweight champ. Not really sure how that could possibly be the case, given how he clearly lost to Davison Figueredo last time. But needless to say, the UFC are clearly pushing it. They're desperate for a Mexican champ. So much so that they made this rematch with Kai Cara France an interim title fight. It wasn't even that long ago, was it, that, um, that uh, Figueredo and Moreno fought for the third time? So it seems utterly bizarre to me um, why they did this. Still, relatively fun fight, all the same. Uh, two fighters that have completely exceeded my expectations, basically. Uh, Moreno was a fun, youngish fighter who has uh, become an elite flyweight and, and now a former champion, which was you know, an amazing moment. And I never really liked Kai Kara France. He always seen me as a kind of uh, relatively low output, low output, uh, pure counter striker. But he makes it work for him. Um, he likes to obviously uh, come out, pop the jab, give you little looks, keep goading you on, faint you move backwards, laterally move, bait you into making a mistake, and then boom, overcomes the right hand. Um, does it really well, really effectively. It's just quite. Uh, uh, what's the right way of putting this? Um, it's not basic what he does, but he just it's repetitive, essentially. His approach is generally quite repetitive. Makes some fun fights, and uh, he's a bigger puncher than his record might suggest. Real sharp hitter. Um, and what I really liked about this fight was, even though he went with his normal pattern early, uh, by the time the third round came around, when he, started, he, he opened uh, Moreno up with an elbow on the ground, or, or ground and pound, uh, after he ended up on top in a scramble, um, he then started putting it together more. He started mixing in the uppercut. Uh, he'd, he'd hook off the jab and then bring the right hand behind it and started really building something where I thought, we've got something here. Kyle Carroll Francis, he, he stepped it up a gear and I think he's going to take this. And then Moreno, three times in that third round, I, I counted that um, that lead body kick. And the third time it slapped him and Kyle Carroll France went down. Follow up ground and pound was unnecessary. He was finished. So fair play to Moreno for seeing something that worked and, and continuing with it. Fair play to Kaikara France for putting in a really good uh, shift. Probably as good as I've ever seen him. Really liked um, where he took the fight. Things about Moreno, what I really like about him, I love how he initiates grappling uh, exchanges just to get you on the break. Uh, I think I mentioned this when I spoke about the, the rematch with, with Figueredo. He's really good at doing that, Moreno. One of the best um, in the sport, I think, right now. At initiating a grappling exchange. If it goes his way, brilliant. If not, he will get you as you break from the clinch or as you, uh, you know, as you come off the fence or as you get back to your feet. He will get you with an elbow or a punch or a kick or something. He is relentless in that regard. Um, what was interesting about that third round that I mentioned, which was a really good round, by the way. Um, really fun round. Um... Moreno, badly bleeding. Kyle Carroll France clearly on top. 
Moranis just keeps pressuring him, keep pressuring him, keeps on the front foot, keeps fainting. I, his sort of over-exaggerated style of fainting, I usually like that sort of thing, but it quite annoys me. He's got that sort of bladed arm thing he does. It's quite annoying. I know it's not fair to say that Brandon Moreno, the nicest guy in MMA, annoys you, but he does annoy me a bit in that regard. He kind of makes a silly face. He does that really over OTT fainting, but it really does work to to um, draw out reactions. And, and for a natural counter-puncher like Kai Kara France... Um, gives him less to work with because you never really know what Moreno's going to do. He's got a lot of um, uh, different attacks that he, can, that, he can, that he can fall back on. And as we saw in this fight, uh, it's the body kick that ends it. Really nice work. Nice fight. Totally pointless um, as a uh, interim title fight. I'm absolutely fine with it being a five-rounder, obviously. Uh, am I fine with a rematch for the title of Devison Figueredo? Is it a fourth fight where well, it's inevitable, and it? it's kind of hope that whoever wins wins clearly, and that is the end. Uh, I really want Figueredo to win, really. Then they have two wins, one draw, one loss, and he should have won the draw. Um, but as I say, I think that he wants it in Brazil. I think he, he's not stupid. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the deck might be stacked against him somewhat. Um, just going to run through the rest of the card because um, I want to do a four-hour podcast on this. Um, something else going to make me somewhat unpopular, I imagine, is uh, I'm sorry, guys, but I just I just can't get on board with Magomed Ankalaev. Saw someone online sort of say, "Look, you know, Anthony Smith, whenever he fights someone elite, looks bad." Um, I don't think that Ankalaev is elite. Is this kind of thing where it's like, well, he's good for light heavyweight. I'm not even sure he's that good for light anyway. Low output counter striker. Doesn't grapple as much as he should do, even though he appears to be quite good at it. Uh, and is a fighter who uh, lost to Paul Craig. Um, I know there's this kind of Dagestani fetish where we assume that everyone from that region is just a, an absolute monster who's going to save all our bad divisions. And we should just be happy for any kind of, uh, you know, former former ACA type fighter or ACB or whatever to come along and just... Uh, just save us. Um, where was Hank alive? WFCA. Um, but, you know, I don't think that necessarily means that um, Hank alive is it. Um, he was obviously going to get a title shot next um, against uh, Yuri Prohaska, which is going to be fun because Yuri is the kind of fighter who will give Hank alive more opportunities to counter. But in terms of drawing out his own offence, in terms of uh, doing interesting work, in terms of putting together work that makes his fights bearable don't think Ankolaev is it I know they're going to be a continued fan to get annoyed at me about that um, but I don't really care um, I think it's he's got a really good chance of winning the title because as I said Prohaska's going to give him more counter opportunities um, but I'd prefer it if he didn't um, I think he'd be quite an uninspiring champion and at light heavyweight we need anything possible to make us uh, to keep us inspired because it's um it's pretty barren. Uh, talking about uh, potential flyweight title fights, uh, Pantoja beats Alex Perez by just jumping on him, basically. Um, and Pantoja is really unlucky that Brandon Moreno is going to get another title shot because he really deserves one. And I know we'd love to see a rematch with Figueredo, which was an absolute all-action classic. Um, Alex Perez, former title challenger himself, uh, Pantoja basically just leapt on him from the opening bell, pressured him, attacked him, Created a scramble, got on his back, worked his way into a over a choke or a crank, and just basically never let up. Just a proper pressure fighting performance. Now, I know what you might be thinking, like, um, 
they might be maybe fluky or um, you know maybe Perez wasn't warmed up or anything. But at a top level, and this is at a top level of a decent division, you can just run at someone and just attack them. I don't think people understand. You cannot just run at a proper good world-class fighter and attack him. And Pantoja doesn't give a fuck. Just ran at Perez, attacked him, pressured him, worried him, and then just uh, just finished him. Unbelievable. And I really hope they give him another good opponent on the undercard of Figueredo and uh, Moreno 4. Because... If there's anything that happens with those main event, that's the guy that needs to step in. He deserves to step in. Also, that that essentially he needs a, a final eliminator type fight. Um, he deserves it, and you know he's just an absolute animal. And uh, yeah, highly recommend checking. I'm basically giving you recommendations now of relatively uh, short fights that are, that are worth watching. Um, I haven't caught up with uh, Michael Morales and Adam Fuggett on the undercard yet, um, which is weird because Morales, for me, is a is a really good prospect. And I understand he had a bit of a torrid time in this one, so it will be worth catching up with, but I haven't uh, watched it yet. Uh, just a quick one on Sergei uh, Pavlovich versus Derek Lewis. The blueprint for Derek Lewis has now been figured out. Push him back, hope he doesn't clobber you, and he will fall apart quite quickly. Absolutely fine with the stoppage. He went down face first. Yeah, he jumped up pretty quickly, but he wasn't defending himself. Uh, and um, I think he's just going to get splattered. Um, thing with Derek Lewis is you think now with the current run that he's on and the fact that, as I say, I think he's been very much figured out. Um, he's now lost two on the bounce and uh, what three out of his last four all against, you know, top 10 guys at heavyweight. That's not saying much because heavyweight is uh, even more barren than, than 205. Um, but... I don't know if you heard, but when his name came on the screen, he got such a big pop. And he seems to be so well-liked by fans. Obviously, he's a massive punch. It's a humongous banger. Terrifying. Just can shave people and lay them out. And sort of memeable uh, interview soundbite. So, he just seems to be really popular. And with a, as barren as heavyweight is, if he doesn't retire, he'll stick around, I'm sure. Um, one that I really want everyone to check out from the prelims... Um, if you check out one fight, there isn't a relevant one, so i.e. not a rankings type fight, but just a really fun fight. Drew Dober versus Rafael Alves, just absolutely immense. Such a great, fun action fight. Dober's got a, just a chin of cast iron, as we know, and sandbag fists. Alves is a nutcase. Uh, Rafael Alves really gave it to Dober. He's showboating. Some really big, huge exchanges, loads of big, wide, sloppy hooks. Dober eventually drew it out. Bomb through a left body shot, sort of, almost like a left straight to the body, to the liver. Um, well, it might be like a solar plexus shot, actually. I'm not sure. He just sort of eared him in the gut, essentially. Um, fainted him out. He'd be looking for it. Fainted him with the lead hand. Twatted him with the uh, with the backhand and, and crumpled Alves um, with an absolute beaut. Um, just a really, really fun fight that I guarantee you will be at least on the honourable mentions on my fight of the year calls at the end of the year. I just loved it. I just loved it from start to finish. Really fun fight. Um, yeah, but, you know, the, the card was okay in general. It was all right. Um, some fights have, that were quite meaningful. Some fights that, um, you know, were a bit of a mess, but it was somewhat fun. Um, almost certainly better than next week's card, which is uh, Santos versus Hill. So talking about shit like heavyweights. Um, we got Luke A. Jeff Neil on that card. What else is on that? Can I bother to look? 
I can't even be bothered to look, to be honest with you. So maybe no UFC chat next week, just because um, I think I'm going to be working on the, the 30 nights of fights for September. Um, next big one is uh, Cheeto Vera versus uh, Dominic Cruz, August 13th. Definitely be covering that one. Um, bit of a weird fight, but definitely be covering that one as a main event. Um, so yeah, let me know at the usual place at Combat CR if you enjoyed uh, the fights and if you enjoyed the analysis. If you don't, then fine as well. You know we can't agree on everything. Uh, but until next week, which I'm not sure if it will be a uh, free podcast, but definitely a Patreon podcast. Right or robbery, Dillashaw versus Cruz. Uh, especially timely, of course, because we've got a Dominic Cruz fight coming up. Um, so yeah, stick uh, stay tuned to the Patreon. Uh, and if I do drop something on this feed, I'll be sure to let you know on Twitter over at Combat CR. Tell your friends, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the fights, and you'll be hearing from me very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 